very serious. And Santa having an existential crisis. I can't, I just, I can't even with that video. Um, it is, I think it is so incredibly important. And you hear us talk about it all the time here in Fort City. Our kids are so very important. They are not the future of the church. They are the church right now. And I, did you ever have the conversation with your parents? Probably your, probably your dad. Uh, the one that starts with him saying, you know, when I was a kid... And then they proceed to tell you how much harder it was for them when they were a kid. You guys have had this conversation, I hope. You know, and it ends with them telling you they had to walk to school uphill both ways in a blizzard, right? Exactly. You know, something, something has changed. I think being a kid these days is not easy anymore. I think it is way harder to be a kid now and then it was when I was a kid. There was so much pressure on them. Bullies and, and negative influence have so much access to our kids like never before. They're having identity crises. They're struggling with depression and, and things like cutting and, and suicidal thoughts more than any previous generations. And this stuff is on the rise. And here in Fort McMurray, our kids, they have their own special brand of PTSD having gone through the trauma that they've, many of them have gone through. They're burdening is heavy and for many of them they think there's only two options they're either naughty or nice they're either good kids or they're bad kids and somehow many of them have come to this conclusion that there are only two options and you know it's not just our kids uh, they've learned it from somewhere uh, many of us are the same we think that we are either successes or failures a good dad a good husband a, a good man or not I have this five-year journal that I use. I, I really love it. I recommend, I'm not good at journaling, but I do try. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. And each day, this five-year journal uh, has, the, it has a day, a page for every day of the year. And on each page is five little sections. And you just write a little bit in each section. And the next year, you write in the next section. And, and so it lasts five years. And you get to look back on how you were feeling and on that day in the previous years. And you guys, it's been really neat. Uh, this is my first year where I have entries from last year, and it's been interesting. Uh, also a little depressing um, to have discovered how hard I am on myself. Most of the entries are about things I have screwed up or things that I want to do better. And so it's like this list of me just saying, hopefully by next year I'm a bit further along, hopefully by next year. And I'm, I'm hard on myself too. I, I, get, I get it. And... Looking back, there's always that chance for regret. And, uh, <laughs> you know, some people try to say they live their life with no regrets. You could go for it. Uh, I got some. I got a few. Uh, I remember uh, I, I never drank in high school. I was one of those good kids. Uh, I'm sure you, you guys weren't, weren't one of those good kids. But I, I didn't touch the stuff. Uh, and it wasn't until I was well into my 18th uh, year that uh, I gave it a go for the first time. We, uh, I finished my uh, emergency medical responder course, and one of the kids, or people, adults in the class, uh, threw a party. And so me and Adrian, who were dating at the time, went to this party. And uh, I, guys, I, I drank. I, I drank a lot. Uh, it was my first time. I probably should have not done what I had done. Uh, and then kind of Adrian, even at that young age, was like looking over me like, 
we gotta go like you're a mess and so she drove me home and on the way home i uh, had this really great idea Uh, i was gonna play prank on her and so when we got to my house she was dropping me off at my house she's in a big f-150 truck Uh, i drove a sunfire she drove an f-150 she'll tell you something about our relationship um we pulled up to my house and before she even stopped i opened the door and fell out onto the ground thinking this is going to be funny and she's freaked out she ran around her truck and came over to me and i'm lying on the ground holding my breath pretending like i'm dead and uh guys i'm I'm, regrets right i'm this is my regret story i'm sure and she started freaking out she thought i was dead and it was because it was dark and and anyways i couldn't handle it any longer and then i started laughing and uh she did not laugh um she pulled her arm back and punched me in the face as hard as she could um yeah so so regrets right i have some regrets about that night i should have been wiser Uh, my wife also has regrets she wishes she had punched me twice (laughs) you know these 14 years later i uh i have a few regrets about that night um and it's easy to focus on our past mistakes. You guys, I, I, I think it's way too easy to highlight our failures and our missteps. We can look back and see all those regrets, and we end up putting these labels. We label ourselves with, with words like failure and screw-up and loser. But the truth is that these labels are just not the way that God sees us. And these labels, they, they actually don't define us very well. And these labels are just not the whole story. You are not the sum of all of your mistakes. And you are not who you were on your worst day. And you are not defined by your biggest regrets. And I think this is an important thing for us to learn. If we can learn to see ourselves the way God sees us, if we can learn to forgive ourselves and see the best in ourselves, I think it will end up changing us from the inside out. Uh, and And I think we owe it to our kids to get this right we owe it to them to lead by example and so today we're going to talk about a guy named peter a guy who had some serious regrets Uh, he lived a hard and fast life and he made many missteps along the way and he got a little bit lost in his regrets ended up putting labels on himself that weren't true uh, until jesus helped him see the truth Uh, Sometimes our most confident decisions, and this was in Peter's case, end up being our most embarrassing mistakes. Like when you're overconfident, when you think there's no way for you to fail, you're just setting yourself up for some of your most embarrassing mistakes. When I was growing up, my mom had a serious problem that she had to solve. Uh, At Christmas, she would put the presents under the tree, and, and then me and my three brothers and my sister Jill would poke them and prod them, Uh, until we figured out what they were. Uh, It was more art than science. You know, you'd kind of shake it a bit to see what it sounded like and squeeze it to feel like what it was made of. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, we'd maybe even pull back a corner of the wrapping to get like a peek of of what was inside. And so, and, and this was the best part, is once we would guess, there was a surefire way to know if we guessed right because mom would immediately get mad. Like it was her tell. Like she, you could guess all day long, get it wrong, she wouldn't care, and then if you guess right, mad. And so it was perfect. We had this all set up, and so she was mad most of most of Christmas, <laughs> actually. And uh, 
So this year, my mom, one, one year when we were kids, my mom got really crafty. Instead of putting our names on the gifts, uh, instead of labeling, you know, Lucas, Josh, and Nathan, uh, she put numbers between one and a thousand on the gift. It was a code. And then in her purse or somewhere, she had written down who, which kids got what numbers between one and a thousand. It's kind of, kind of genius, right? And so that year, nobody guessed any gifts. Nobody knew what they're getting because we didn't know which gifts were for who. It was perfect. She was totally confident. And then Christmas morning, something happened. Um, she couldn't remember where she put the piece of paper with the code on it. And so that Christmas, we just randomly opened presents under the tree. And I got to tell you, when I opened a My Little Pony, <laughs> I was not very grateful. Uh, it was a Christmas disaster. And, and it all started with my mom's overconfidence. She thought she won. And, uh, and P- this happened to Peter. Uh, this is the start of Peter's story. Uh, his biggest mistake started with overconfidence too. Peter is one of the 12 people that Jesus kind of chose to be his inner circle, his disciples. Uh, Peter was there to witness all of Jesus' miracles and teachings. Uh, he had a front row seat uh, for everything that Jesus had done. And Jesus had gathered this group of people together for one last time. It was the night before Jesus was going to be arrested and the next day led up the hill of Calvary and killed. Uh, and he, Jesus had gathered these people, this, this inside group, together to pray for them and to prepare them for the trouble that they were about to experience. And, and Peter could sense the kind of finality of Jesus' words. And so Peter asked Jesus, he said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter, in his boldness and confidence, he thinks he's the best follower. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I will go to the ends of the earth. I will fight any battle, even if these other guys here fall away. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is smart. And so Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And hours later, Jesus would be arrested, taken away in the middle of the night, and tried on trumped-up charges. And Peter uh, would have followed Jesus at a distance. Along with John, he made his way into the outer courts of where Jesus was being held. They're just trying to overhear what's happening to understand what's going on inside. Peter, John, they're rightfully scared. You know, Jesus, it looks bad for him. And if they're associated with him, it's not going to go well for them. So they're kind of being uh, discreet. And then in that outer court, a young servant girl, probably a teenage girl, looks at him and says, she says, you're not one of those Jesus followers, are you? And Peter right away, no, no, I am not scared of this little girl. And a little while later, Peter was standing around a fire. He's just trying to warm his hands. And somebody in the group kind of looks at him and kind of recognizes him like, you're one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? And right away, Peter says, I am not. And then somebody says, no, I saw you. You were there last night when he got arrested. And Peter throws a fit and says, I am not. And just as quickly as the words leave his mouth, just as Jesus said it would happen, the rooster began to crow. And in that moment, Peter realized that what Jesus had predicted had come true. 
that he had failed, that he was not as strong as he thought he was, that he had abandoned his very best friend, his rabbi in his greatest hour of need. He had failed, and, and Peter, we're told, wept bitterly, heartbroken. From I'll die for you to I don't even know you. That's a long way to fall. And mistakes like this can change you, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. You guys know how that goes. How we respond to our mistakes and our embarrassments uh, kind of is what ends up defining them. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Somebody maybe you loved, right? You can, you can learn from that experience. You can grow. You can change the sort of people you associate. You can set healthier boundaries. Or you can decide to never have any close relationships ever again. Close everybody out. Wall up your heart. Or if you ever reach for the stars only to fall on your face, you can learn from that. Grow. Discover new skills. Work on the things you need to work on. Or you can never try anything risky or scary ever again. I think this failure really affected Peter. The hurt was deep and the sense of failure ran throughout his soul. Failure, hurt, and pain. It could get us caught in these like negative self-talk cycles. And we could spiral deeper and deeper. How, and, and the question I, I want to answer today is, how do we stop that spiral? So in Peter's story, he's, he's spiraling. Things are, do not go well for him the next little while. Jesus had died. We've got to fast forward. Jesus had died, he, but he had also risen. And he wasn't leading his, you know, after he rose, he wasn't leading his followers full time. He was kind of peering to them here and there and, and giving them uh, direction and encouraging them. And uh, Peter and others had spoken with Jesus, um, but things were still precarious. You know, things weren't really going well. They were still in hiding, still scared. And at the end of John's account of the life of Jesus, he tells us that himself and Peter and some of the other disciples uh, were fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And so much had changed for them so quickly. Uh, they had been on a rocket ship with Jesus to the top. People listened to them. People were taking care of them and supporting them. They had a following. And then after the death of Jesus, that all seemed to stop. People began to despise them. And they became fugitives in their own land. And so John tells us that they were fishing. Maybe without Jesus telling them what to do, they just went back to doing the only thing they knew how to do. Maybe the loss of support of the people meant they had to provide for themselves all of a sudden. We, we don't know why they were fishing, but it sounds kind of to me like they had given up. They just went back to the same old, same old. They fished all night and they caught nothing. That's how the story goes. Even what they knew they were good at wasn't working for them anymore. They caught nothing. And it's morning time. The sun is beginning to rise. And then a man calls out to them from the shore. And uh, we know it's Jesus. Um, but he's too far away for them for them to realize who he is. And, and Jesus calls out to them, Friends, do you have any fish? And John tells us that they just simply said no, but I don't know if you've worked a very unproductive night shift and then you get constructive criticism from somebody in the morning, but I'm sure it was a sharp no. Uh, not too much kindness in it. Um, and then Jesus, you know, uh, doing being Jesus the way he is, he tells them, well, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? You guys, this is clearly a nonsensical instruction. Um, if the fish aren't biting on the left side of the boat, 
probably not biting on the right side of the boat. Um, and for these experienced fishermen like John and Peter, this would have been kind of an obvious truth to them. This would have been a silly thing for them to try. Um, but for some reason, they did it. Maybe it was night shift brain. Maybe it was desperation. Maybe it was just curiosity. But they threw their net over the other side of the boat. And uh, I guess you, you probably guess what happens. The net fills up with fish, more fish than makes any sense. It was a miracle. And for me, I always stop at this part of the story because I think it begs the question, what new and nonsensical thing is Jesus asking me to do? What thing is he trying to ask me to do that doesn't seem to make sense that might be designed to interrupt the spiral, to see yourself and your life, the people around you in a new way? Now, I have some nonsensical things that I think we could try this year. We could give praying a shot. Like, not just asking God to bless you and to give you things and to take care of you, but pray to Him to ask Him to reveal Himself to you, to show you where He is in the world around you, help you discover where He is at work and how you can be involved in the work that He is doing. I mean, it doesn't get much weirder and nonsensical than talking to yourself, right? Prayer. We could try volunteering somewhere. You could go down to the soup kitchen at the Baptist church and help out there. You could even take your kids out every once in a while and take them to the soup kitchen to help. You could join a team like Kids City or Youth Group. See what it means to serve the people around you. In a world that is a selling a me-first mentality, uh, it does seem nonsensical to me to give of yourself in the service of others. Or This one is good. It's kind of interesting. You could download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. And then you could invite some friends to read the Gospels with you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read them together on your phone. And you can even comment on things. You can see where each other are in your readings. Uh, you know, what reading an ancient text in these modern times seems kind of nonsensical to a lot of people. You could commit to being part of this church, not just on a Sunday morning, but you could get involved in one of the other 167 hours of the week. You could join a community group where people are just trying to figure out faith together. You could join Starting Point and ask those tough questions you think you're not supposed to ask in church. Church outside of Sunday morning, now that, that's definitely nonsensical. Maybe to get what you're looking for, to get what you need, it means pulling up your net and trying something different. So Peter and John, their net fills up with fish. And uh, it was a miracle. And, and later on, John will tell us they caught 153 fish. And some people try to determine if 153 means anything special. I just think it means that they were men. And it was important to them that people knew they caught a lot of fish. Right? I don't know if you've ever met a fisherman. It's important to them how many fish they caught. So I think that gives the story some, some validity. Um, it was a miracle. And then they pull up all these fish, and suddenly it clicks. Suddenly they realize that this man on the shore is not just some stranger. This man is, is Jesus. The man they had seen nailed to a cross just a few weeks before. And he had been toying with them revealing himself in this profound yet very playful way. And Peter is this impulsive guy, and so you know, instead of rowing in the boat or helping the other guys on the boat, he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. He's a look 
He's a, he's a leap before you look kind of guy, and he walks on the shore, and there Jesus is, and Jesus has cooked them breakfast. And John tell, doesn't tell us what they talked about over breakfast, but he does tell us what happened when it was over. And they finished eating, and, and there was some quiet. Peter hadn't been able to talk to Jesus privately yet about what had happened that night in the courtyard. That night when he abandoned Jesus, that night when he denied even knowing him, and it's been eating him up for weeks. The shame and guilt. The woulda, coulda, shoulda. And how do you even try to make things right like that? Like it's such a grave error, such a such a such a deep hurt. How do you even begin a conversation with someone you've hurt that deeply? And lucky for Peter, he didn't have to. Jesus started it. And sitting around a fire on that beach, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter remembered back to that night when he was so overconfident. I would die for you. I will lay down my life for you. And I think he probably felt a little bit of shame. Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, Jesus, you know that I love you. A little less bravado in his voice, maybe a little bit of embarrassment. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now they're making eye contact. And Jesus can see Peter's pain, his regret, and his sorrow. And Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. And there's this tension building in the air. And Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this time, Peter is hurt. Does Jesus doubt him? Is Jesus mad at him? Is Jesus just trying to make him relive the worst decision of his entire life? And Peter lets it all out. Jesus, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. you. Jesus, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus tells him a third time, feed my sheep. See, three times Peter denied Jesus the night he was arrested. And now Jesus, in his grace and in compassion, gives him three times to get it right. Three chances to speak life. Three chances to speak truth. Jesus is reminding Peter in this conversation about who he really is. That he isn't just a fisherman. That he isn't just a person who deny knowing Jesus. He isn't just the failure that he thinks he is. That he is Peter, one who is loved by his creator. One who has been given a cosmic purpose. One who has been asked to do the will of God. He isn't his biggest mistake or his greatest failure. He is a friend of God. See, Peter was hiding in that boat fishing. He was hiding in his shame, wallowing in his sorrow. And when Jesus tells him to feed his sheep, he is just reminding Peter of who he is. To take the truth he witnessed firsthand and to tell it to everyone that will listen. And so the question this morning as we wrap up is this. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a failure? Are you a loser? Are you that person who hurt his family? Are you that person who made that mistake in high school that you're still dragging around with you? Are you allowing the weight of your past mistakes 
to hold you down and stop you from discovering who God made you to be. That maybe you are not either naughty or nice. And I'll tell you something with great confidence. I know who you are. I know who you are. You are a child of your Creator. You are a friend of Jesus. You are a place where the Spirit of God lives. You are a work of art. You are totally forgiven. You are made in the image of the one who made you. And you are greatly loved. And sometimes we're going to lose. But that doesn't make us losers. And sometimes we're going to fail. But that doesn't make us failures. And so here it is. This, This year, 2020, I'm asking God to help me to see clearly. To see myself and to see others the way he sees us. And I want to invite you this year to join me. You know, you can, you can decide you want to lose 20 pounds or you want to stop smoking, you know, resolutions for the year. Those are all great, healthy things. But would you join me this year in trying to stop the spiral, to change our perspective, and to see ourselves and the people around us the way that God sees us. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for all that you have done for us. I thank you that you have seen all of the places we have ever been, and you have seen all the things that we have ever done, that you were there in our moment of deepest regret, that you were there in our moment of deepest shame, and that, Jesus, that you don't just rub it in our face, that you have invited us to, you have in, invited us to come to you so that you can take the weight of shame and guilt off of our shoulders. And Jesus, today I pray that as we leave this place, as we go into a new year, that you would remind us of who we are. That you would help us to remove that negative self-talk. That you would give us the confidence to live our lives as people who have been called by you. What would we look like? What could this church do if we were confident if we knew who you had created us to be, if we lived that out. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everybody here. I pray this in your holiest names.